Hey, thanks for engaging with the Open Life Talks, whether you're listening on the app or on iTunes. We did have a technical difficulty with the audio this week, and so you can still listen to it or watch it if you'd like, but if you listen to it for a minute or so and you can't handle it, we did adapt our notes for this week so that you can do your own study at home through the passages and the thoughts that we went through on Sunday. So if you want to, would like to do that, all you need to do is click the notes button below on the Open Life Church app, and then you can have a, your own self-study as you read the scriptures that we processed this week, and then ask yourself some reflective questions that we have in the notes section of the app. So once again, we apologize for this inconvenience. We really do hope to have all the kinks figured out going forward with our recording. And so from now on, it should be crystal clear audio uh, here moving forward. So once again, thanks for engaging with the talks through uh, the Open Life Church app or on iTunes. And we thank you for tuning in. Well, welcome today, and we're excited to jump into week two of uh, this series called Laying Tables. And let me catch you up for those of you who weren't able to be present last week. In this series, we're looking at the lives of these faithful followers of Jesus in the early church. After Jesus resurrected, he finds himself uh, ascending into heaven and leaving his disciples. He encourages them to pray and and wait on the Holy Spirit, and, and they do so. The Holy Spirit comes on them, and the church begins to explode in growth. And as the church is exploding in growth, and, and people are adding to their number daily, and the, there was the practical elements of caring for people in both the church and the community that they were, like, really bothered by, they were letting drop. You know, these ministries were dropping to the ground, and they're like, well, what do we do? And we looked last week at the reality that they decided it would be wise to select people that were, uh, they were known, and they were known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And so they take these, these men, these seven men, and they give them the mundane task of waiting tables. They were in charge of the food uh, distribution, ultimately. They don't know whether it was food distribution, food vouchers they were handing out, but they were in charge of Ultimately, we're calling it waiting tables. And this mundane task we're going to see today turns into this marvelous ministry. It's like God needed them to say yes to something little, and immediately, instantly elevates them to this incredibly transforming moment for you and I today, for our community today, for the church. And it's ultimately through this occurrence today in the life of Stephen, and then we'll look the next two weeks at Philip, of how God spread the gospel through these people. And today, we'll look at uh, Acts 6, 8 through, like a bunch, we're going to be a chunk here, so I'm going to jump right in, because we're going to really ask ourselves this question, what does it take to spread the gospel? And we're going to see what God does initially to spread the gospel through these volunteers who just stepped up. And these seven people, Stephen being the one we're looking at. A man full of God's grace and power, it says in verse 8, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. 
So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen, brought him before the high council, and, and the lying witnesses said, the man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. And we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone, it says, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? Let's pause there, and actually we're going to fast forward. The next 50 verses, Stephen goes into this, this message about the gospel. Like, why did God send the Messiah of Jesus, and how did we get here? And he walks through this bold presentation of 50 verses, which I encourage you, homework, go read it. Because um, it, it's, it's pretty bold. Especially if you know any of the history of the Old Testament, he's going to walk through the whole Old Testament and connect a bunch of dots. And he, he knew, you know, this fresh, this guy who was just waiting tables a moment ago, this man full of faith and full of the Spirit, says of wisdom, quickly finds himself in a place of Israel's leaders and religious rulers defending the gospel, ultimately. And he tells them how predictable this situation truly is, which is kind of crazy, that they arrested him. He retells the whole Testament and these stories and, uh, about how these moments where God sends them people and then they persecute them. He covers stories like Abraham in and, and, and verses 2 through 8 and Joseph in verses 9 through 16 and the deliverance with Moses 17 through 34. Israel turning from God in verses 35 through 50. And then as we'll see in a second, ultimately they're rejecting the Messiah and putting him on the cross. And, and so he's like cutting right to the heart. Man, he's delivering a bold challenge to them. And his powerful and cutting speech leads them to the conclusion that their rejection of the followers of Jesus is a continued rejection of God himself. Pretty big insult. Here's verse 51. He says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart. How well is this going to go, right? You can just, when you lead into anything like that, you know, hey, let's have a conversation. You're a heathen. Let's get that out in the open. You know, it's just like, okay, this is going to be awesome. So it's pretty bold. You stubborn people, you're heathen at heart, deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. So interesting terminology when they're looking at him. Remember, his face is illuminated like an angel right now. It's literally like this moment. God is like coming, working through Stephen, and their eyes all see it. 
The Jewish leaders were infuriated, it says in verse 54, by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. <laughs> Sounds like a state of the union. Okay, no, 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 and he sees into the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open. And the Son of Man is standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Which means he resurrected from the dead, which they were pretty upset he was preaching. right? And then he ascended into heaven, which they were pretty upset he was preaching. So he's stirring it up. He's really... He's got that pot going, right? Then they put their hands over their ears, began to shout, can't hear you, can't hear you, can't ba la 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 right? Like I tell my kids to do during scare commercials. And they rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers, his accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. What a story. This is ultimately just brutal. And it's the first martyr. The word martyr means witness, ultimately. Uh, and Stephen was the first person who witnessed of Jesus' resurrection to the point of death. The first martyr of Christian faith, ultimately. And we can read this as a historical moment, or we can really dive in and see what is God trying to show us here, which is what obviously we're going to do today. The power at work through him inspiring, you know, both in life and death. Like, obedience to the death is like Braveheart type story, right? But this is this guy at the beginning of the church. One could read that, uh, you know, this, this text and say, well, why did God not, why did God not spare him? Like, where's Where's the protection? Where's this covering? And, and we see that ultimately it took in God's sovereign wisdom. We don't understand how God thinks all the time. It's, it's just a reality. He knew that it was going to take this guy's death in order for the church to spread. It said to Judea and Samaria. What did Jesus challenge his disciples to do at the beginning of Acts? Pray and wait for power so that you'll have the, the boldness to witness in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So this, it took this for them to spread out. They were just all gathered. They scattered them to spread the gospel. 
We read, we read last week in verse 5 of Acts that here that it said that Stephen was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And he was the only one of the seven they chose to make tables that had a kind of a descriptor next to his name. Uh, and we don't know, we're assuming that he was already doing these like, you know, acts of miracles and, and serving people and standing up for the faith wisely, defending it in a way that nobody could defend the arguments. We assume this is happening before he said yes to waiting tables, but we don't know. It may have been saying yes to waiting tables that put it in the place of anointing and authority for this to happen. But it's interesting to consider he's the only one that they describe as the man, you know, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Only one of the seven. And it kind of leads us to our, our big idea today. Our big idea today is sharing Jesus takes being full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. That, that's what we're seeing here in, Steve, in and through Stephen's life. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said in the Gospels, Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. So Jesus himself said he needed the anointing to share the good news. He, Jesus, as well needed the Spirit of the Lord to proclaim. The Son of God needed this. How much more do we, which is why he challenged his disciples to, to wait for this authority and this power to share. Stephen went from saying yes to waiting tables to being used by the Holy Spirit, the mundane and the marvelous. He was doing miracles. And it was stirring things up because he was doing miracles in the name of Jesus, whom they killed and who rose from the grave, which was cutting them to the heart because they made that decision to Acts 4.33, uh, before this, said the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. It was the very fact that they were sharing, I, I, I think every week, about how the reality is a bunch of us in here don't necessarily have a relationship with Jesus yet. You're, you're in process. You're just figuring this thing out. And that's awesome. It's totally, you're at the right place. And it's cool to know that that God would inspire people like this to, to make a way for, for you to hear the love of God, even so boldly as to somebody not shrinking from the message of the gospel, that God so loved the world, he sent his son to go to the cross for us, to die in the forgiveness of our sins, and to raise three days later. That's the message they don't shrink back from here. They're sharing the message of the resurrection, and they're sharing it in such a way that, you know, they're even going to death for it and not denouncing it. That's good to know. Like, that means this is, this is really, really true, and it gives us the authority to wrestle with it at a deeper level, maybe intellectually. Uh, Stephen is the first outside of the apostles, those that were closest to Jesus while he was living. He's the first that they described as having performed miracles which gave this understanding that Jesus was telling the truth when we can do even greater things and all the authority Jesus had is now upon us. And, and we can pray for people to be well and, and we can pray for people to be healed and they can be healed. And, and we're seeing testimony of that just right from the get-go of the early church. 
Uh, it's full, and I don't know, like, just, I, I just want the visual to stick in with you that while they're persecuting this guy, it's like he gets more and more like an angel. Think of how tough that would be to walk through. Like, Stephen's just enduring this, this anger and this persecution, but, like, he's becoming more and more Christ-like and angelic right in front of their eyes while they're persecuting him. And just what we endure, what we're going to face in our life, maybe having this in perspective will get us a little farther down the road before we get frustrated and shake our fists at God. So, what might be possible? Today I want to dive into here. What might be possible if we allow ourselves to be active with our faith? If we allow our faith to be empowered with the Holy Spirit so much that His presence could be seen on us by all. Everybody there saw Stephen illuminated like something is, like this person is different. They saw that about Stephen. What would we have to do? Maybe this story can give us some hopeful, or some helpful insights. Uh, so we're going to look at it. How did Stephen show that he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit? And the first thought is he had faith in the face of. And if you're filling in the blanks on the app or on your note sheet, there's, you filled in that blank. I don't know what you're facing. But Stephen had faith in the face of what he was facing, this, this persecution that was breaking out. We live in a world where the first thing it tends to seem like that happens when things get rough, when we're in the face of something that we don't know the answers about, the first thing the world wants us to do is go, God, why? Right? Well, Stephen doesn't do that. He sets this model of showing how to allow our most powerful encounter with God in the face of and that's when he became the face of an angel, in the face of, he's in front of a council of people who obviously want to kill him because they just killed Jesus. Like, he knows what's coming. And he's sitting there in the face of this great persecution and opposition, arrested, falsely accused, the same as Jesus. He knows the end of this story. And he stays he doesn't deny the cross. He doesn't deny the grave. In Matthew 5, Jesus gave us a challenge in, in Matthew 5.43. You've heard the law that said, love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. He gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and it sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. We got that this week. Rain, it did. Uh, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Again, we're so quick to do the opposite. Somebody's mean to us, and we're like, well, I'm going to be mean right back. That's what I'm going to do. We listen to them, and we arm our defense. We're just ready to release it, right? When 
wow, this challenge from Jesus is to, to love those who don't love me. Oh, like those who are persecuting me to like care for them. Oh, wow, so that's like the opposite of what I would have thought. He teaches in other places to turn the other cheek. Like if they smack you on one, let them smack you on the other too. This is challenging. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to, to love those who love us, but it's difficult to love those who don't love us. This is daring and dangerous and, and to pray good for them. And wow. What if Christians could shine because they do act differently? It's easy to love God when everything is going well, but how are we doing at pressing into the love of God when everything is going off? Call it a trial, whatever it is. You know, faith in the face of sickness. Faith in the face of rejection. Faith in the face of loss. Faith in the face of confusion. What is happening, right? Faith in the face of, of hurt. Faith in the face of betrayal. Prepping for re-engage, uh, this session of re-engage. Like, an affair is not the end of a marriage. You listen to testimony after testimony in re-engage where people made that ultimate mistake of, uh, of an affair and God still could come in and restore their marriage. The tools are there in the scripture. Anyway, what about faith in the face of victory? Well, yeah, it's a little different, but some people don't handle victory well. And they become the worst version of themselves in that moment. And I think we need to, to be eyes wide open of Stephen's example of what it is to live in the face of. To have our faith pure in the face of. He, he was a winner. Stephen was victorious. No argument stood up to him. The Holy Spirit gave him the wisdom and the ability to outdo any challenge he had against him. So he was like the ultimate winner they had to falsely accuse to beat. Interesting to think that he had faith in the face of victory. His persecution came from victory. So how did Stephen show that he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit? Thought to He modeled his life after Jesus in probably the most tense moment of his life. Well, for sure the most tense moment. You've maybe heard or seen the movement where people wore braces, the WWJD braces, what would Jesus do? Stephen took this to his grave, <laughs> ultimately. Uh, Luke 23 shows us what Jesus did when he was uh, uh, dying. So two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him, and when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, and one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. So Jesus himself, just as we read Stephen said, prayed for his persecutors to be forgiven. Jesus said a few verses later, Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last similar to what Stephen just did when he was being stoned. Stephen's words of prayer for his persecutors and himself and his death were exact parallels 
Don't you? He was facing his persecutors with the just love the gospel shows all the way to death. He shared with them how they had missed their opportunity to follow the Messiah in a bold way that angered them. Um, and, you know, the priests became, as we read last week with our concluding passage in verse 7, the priests became obedient. I don't know why these religious rulers didn't, but a number of priests actually said, okay, we now follow this message of the resurrection. And they gave their lives to the Lord and were baptized. And you go, wow, this is crazy. But these would become so infuriated that they would choose to stone Stephen to death, give Stephen a death penalty for spreading the gospel, for healing people, for helping people. They were so threatened by their religious position in the community that they wanted to undermine the message of the gospel that was being spread by Stephen. And in the face of his enemies, that's when his vision became so clear of Jesus. In the face of their anger, that's when he was able to see heaven most clearly. It's not like that clouded out. God, are we doing the right thing right now? It became incredibly clear to Stephen, which is just a gift of the Holy Spirit. I think it's interesting in Hebrews 12, how it says, since we are, in verse 1, since we are surrounded by such a great, a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. The very vision Stephen sees leads us to our top three, which is he endured. Jesus endured the cross. Stephen's like, I can endure some rocks. Stephen endured his race to the finish. And the one set before him was uh, to be fully surrendered to the faith, fully surrendered to even the mundane, if it was what he needed to step into. But the Spirit led him all the way to be a, a martyr in the end. To be stoned to death was brutal. We were reading about it this week in the different contexts of what this might look like. And, and I mean, they would drag, literally drag someone out of the city they would potentially even throw them over like a cliff to kind of debilitate them. It says he was on his knees. He probably broke something as he fell. And from there, the first person would roll a large boulder over and hopefully crush him. But that didn't kill him. They would begin to roll boulders and throw rocks until he died. So that's like the context. Stephen's down here and these guys are throwing rocks at him and taking his life. And it's in that context, he's like, take my spirit, Lord. He's seeing this heavenly vision and, and forgive them, Lord. And, and it's this dirty, yucky image, too, because, like, they they don't want to get dirty doing this. They leave their cloaks with, with, with this guy named Saul that was hit on in a second. And, and they're just like, he's enduring this beating and not denying Jesus and his love for them. Not denying them of the love message from Jesus all the way to his death. 
He didn't shrink away from me. I'm going, man, how am I doing at enduring? How are you doing at enduring persecution? We're each called to a unique end. Probably none of us the same as Stephen. Hopefully, I wish that on you. Uh, that'd be awkward, uh, to say the least. But we've got to follow the Spirit and His calling to us. And we don't know where that will put us. Are we going to say yes to a mission field where Christianity is not legal and be one of those who are smuggling in the gospel? Are we going to find ourselves in a place where uh, uh, maybe it's a tense work environment and that will give us the result of, of persecution, if you will? I mean, Stephen's endurance was not his own. It was the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in our life, we're going to need endurance. Uh, maybe it's endurance that, that we feel we're losing. I just hope maybe this story gives you some fresh strength and you're enduring just the reality of your home. Your home is tense right now. Maybe it's the kids or the marriage or whatever it is. God has the ability to help you get through. And I think sometimes the barriers we face or the persecution we face is a little different scale. Um, but, you know, if you were to scale persecution, Stephen's at what? It's probably out of 10, right? <laughs> he does. <laughs> That's going to be the highest. Well, so what does persecution really look like? Because I think if we were to scale it out, maybe maybe a 1 on a scale of 1 to 10 would be where we observe somebody else who says they're a Christian get persecuted so we keep our faith hidden. Like, we, it's not even directly at us. We just see, oh, some Christians get a bad rap, so I'm just going to stay quiet about the fact that I've got Jesus. So we're at a one persecution level, right? Uh, what, what might be a two? Take it up. Um, maybe you are the one being left out. Students, this probably would happen to you at school where you're, you're, you're feeling left out because you don't want to make the same compromises and decisions they're making due to what you're reading in Scripture and what you're discovering you're just like, I'm not going to go there and do that. Now I'm left out because of my faith. Maybe that's a two. Um, or what would be a three or four? Um, when we put, I get the chance to put the A-boards out on my way here in the morning to kind of lead you to little green A-boards with arrows, at least some of them I put out. And oftentimes, I am, you know, I just shared some encouraging words while I'm doing that. Um, you know, some people who don't necessarily want to see a church sign on the street. And and I think, you know, maybe they're saying, if, you know, fund you. Maybe that's the F word they're using. But, you know, I just, you know, they want to say, fun at church. I don't, you know, but you can really feel at that moment, I can be like, oh, persecuted. Fall to my knees on the sidewalk. Or, no, I just get the A word in the car and go, let's get out of here, you know. But, you know, maybe that's a three. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure this out. What about being excommunicated from your family. You know, we have a student in one of our first youth ministries from Thailand that is an exchange student makes a decision to follow Jesus. That did not go over well in her home with their faith background. And, and I mean, the dad was suicidal. I remember that meeting in my office with this girl like, man, this, I don't know that this is a safe home for this girl to go back to. And I definitely don't think the dad's in a healthy place. And and just over the faith, like that's an elevated level of persecution. And 
and, and right in someone's home. Maybe an eight or nine is prison, um, you know, enslavement, which is happening all around our world today. Ten is obviously death. That's persecution. And that's what Stephen was a martyr of. He didn't deny his faith in the face of that. So our final thought, ultimately, how does Stephen show that he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit? He understood God's plan was greater than he could imagine. This is really, let's connect the dots here. Because somehow Stephen knew that he should be faithful to the end of this story. He knew that he should not, in a moment, say, okay, 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 I'll just not speak about this anymore. You guys do your thing. We're going to do ours. We're just going to live in this little sector of community called Christian. But you guys live the way you want to live. He didn't shrink back. He could have. But he didn't. Had he done that, he would not have been killed. Maybe he would have seen that the path to furthering the gospel. But instead, the Holy Spirit led him to stay faithful in this moment. And then he gets this incredible vision of heaven. They see him with this incredible vision of heaven. It opens their eyes to, oh my word, this is a confirmation that, that that was Jesus who died and resurrected. This is affirming his gospel message instead of shrinking it back. What's interesting about this thought is, the writer of Ephesians wrote in Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. This writer was talking about, you know, there's power in you to do more than you can imagine. The writer of Ephesians is the same guy that stood by during that stoning. When it said they gave the coats to Saul, that pile of coats and the guy that fully approved of the stoning of Stephen, as we read, that was Saul, who has an encounter after this with God. God changes his name to Paul. This is the Apostle Paul that writes the majority of this New Testament to train us in the faith. He was the guy approving of Stephen's death, and now he's the guy going, God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Why does he know that so deeply in his spirit? Because he never imagined that the faith of the person he first killed would get into him and transform his life. We don't know our obedience to Jesus. We don't know the impact it's going to have on those around us. Even in the face of them telling us, you're crazy to go be a Christian or go to church or do whatever persecution it is. If we endure, if we remain, if we understand God's plan is greater, he's using me, even when it doesn't feel like it, great and amazing things can happen. 100% believe it. It's interesting, Acts 22, 19 through 20, Paul says this, Lord, I argue, but Lord, I argue, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. Paul's wrestling with God still about his past. Maybe that's where you're at. For many years as a follower of Jesus, I was there. 
I was a jerk to Christian. And then I became one. And I was still like really rough around the edges for quite a long season. Some would say I still am. <laughs> but you know, it's just like, I just, it, uh, I was there. I was mean. I was not kind to followers of Jesus. And then I experienced the gospel in my own life. And I just think that, man, if we would stay faithful like Stephen, some incredible things could happen in and through us. But to do that, we have to put our faith in Jesus. But we have to say, Holy Spirit, use me as you will, and let me be faithful. That's what Stephen does. Don't let those who oppose you prevent you from living out the faith the Holy Spirit is compelling you to pursue. Those opposing you now may be the very ones promoting Jesus later. Just keep Saul, who becomes Paul in mind. Because great things can happen. Our action point is pursue spirit-filled faith. That's what brought Stephen to this moment. He just kept saying yes to where God was initiating and leading him to go. He kept saying yes. We need to pursue a spirit-filled faith. Don't, don't just put the badge of faith on. Like Live it out of action daily. Find out how Allowing yourself to step into places where, where you're faithful to the Holy Spirit's nudge will impact the community around you. I want to pray for you today. And the uh, worship team's going to come out and, and sing while we do that. I, mean, I just want you, I'm going to pray, and I want you to kind of contemplate, man, what do, I, what do I do with this? How do I get through? Here I am, Lord. How do I get through this persecution I face? Whatever level you're at, your world. And then uh, we'll come back and close the service in a second. So, Lord, why don't you stand as I pray, actually? Sometimes it's awkward to sit there. Lord, I, I pray for everybody that's here today, whether someone here has yet to experience the love of Jesus for the first time or not, uh, we're each in our own unique place in this journey of faith. And so I pray that God... Some in this room, for maybe the first time, will experience your love in such a way they'll respond to it. Maybe it's like they see that face of Stephen lit up and realize, oh my word, the gospel's true. This guy's not going to deny his faith. This is real. I need to deal with this. And if that's you and you're just like, okay, I'm going I'm to change course. I'm going to follow Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus today, just simply invite him into your life. Say, Jesus... Be my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you. I want to grow in a relationship with you. And I want you to use me in such a way as you use this guy. That he would just say yes to you and that you would lead him into amazing experiences of ministry. God, I pray for everybody here that when we go out in the community, when we open our mouths, when we share our faith, not only in words, but with action, when we love people, when we live out as the resurrection message is true, if we face persecution, would you help us with that endurance piece? Will you help us understand that, that if we feel like a door is closing, greater things are still ahead? God, in the face of whatever it is we're facing, will you give us the strength of the Holy Spirit to make it through? I thank you for your word and encouragement today. In Jesus' name, let's worship.